Good morning. Um, I'm going to introduce myself, and some of you may have seen me, and my name is Paul Burr, and um, I'm actually like a part-time fixture here at Gospel Life. Um, how that came to be is, uh, almost two years ago, I founded a ministry called Second Chair Church Planting. And the whole idea is to come alongside church plants and church planters to help them. I raise my own support, so I'm actually free. I'm not cheap, but I'm free, okay? So, so part of that, I have the privilege of bringing the Word of God to you today. And um, so, I'd love to have you open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, or go to your, um, go to your uh, liturgy packet. One of the things that I love to do is I love to hike. And one of my favorite places to hike is the Black Hills. I was trying to figure out if I've been there seven or eight times in the last 12 years. So um, I love just the scenery and, and everything about hiking, Sunday Gulch, Black Elk Peak or Hardy Peak, um, just being there in the camping cabins and or camping, it, it's so beautiful for me. And there's one spot in the Black Hills called Sylvan Lake. You may have seen it if you had seen the movie National Treasure Part 2, Book of Secrets, okay? In that, book, in that movie, or is it filmed here? It's filmed, sorry. Um, we see that there's something underneath the rocks called the City of Gold. And um, so the, the story plays out in that fashion. And I love climbing on those rocks. Free climbing, not too high. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really good at getting up, but not as much getting down. Um, so I think about, like, wouldn't it be great if there was a treasure, a treasure underneath there? And that, you know, I've been on the very rock, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, but I've, I've even poured water. You know, see that I can see that Thunderbird raise up? It, it doesn't work. Um, but think about it. It's the Book of Secrets. We love that. We love hidden treasure. And today, we're going to unveil something that was secreted, sealed away, 2,561 years ago. That's a long time. So, we're going to take and let John transport us into the very throne room of God. Now last week, Ben did a great job describing Christ as the center of the throne room. And as Ian Carson, chapter 4 is to chapter 5 what a theater play setting is to the drama itself. So Ben set the table, set the stage, let's open the curtain, and see what God wants to show us today for the first act, Revelation 5. So, we are given a look inside Daniel 7. Now, in your liturgy pack, I've actually included um, 
I'm a very visual person, used to be an engineer. We got a side-by-side of Daniel 7 and Revelation 5. And one other verse you should know about in Daniel. Chapter 12, verse 4, the angel tells Daniel, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. We are about to unseal the book and get it opened. So let me read uh, from Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. Daniel writes, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fiery, was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him, from before him. A thousand thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand served before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was seeking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now here's where we see Jesus. Right? I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Familiar language, isn't it? His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So as we walk through this today, I want to look at like, three scenes. The scroll, the lion and the lamb, scene two, and the worship. So let's put your finger there or look at Revelation Then I saw in the right hand of him who had seen it on the throne a scroll written written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Here we see in the right hand of God the sealed scroll containing, I think, a portion of Daniel's prophecy and much more. It has seven seals. In apocalyptic literature, seven is, again, is perfection. It's completely sealed. No peaking. Completely sealed. And we would expect that God himself is going to open it up. No. No. The money at and mighty angel asked a particular, peculiar question. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And that's a question for us. 
Is anyone worthy? In this room? You know, in our social media chaos, people tell you all the time that you are worthy. You can be the best you possible. But who of us is worthy to unfold history and execute it and put it in place? You know, that makes me think of Christmas because maybe you've had this experience, maybe not, you will. It's Christmas Eve, and you're trying to decipher the directions for uh, Daniel the Tiger Playhouse or Dora the Explorer um, Travel Kit. If we can't even handle directions, right, in simple English, how will we do putting together human history? I'm not worthy for this, and neither are you. The Apostle John pauses here so we can reflect. I don't know about you, but I'm so apt to just run right the passage, right? No. He wants us to feel the tension. He wants us to stop. Is anyone worthy? Just like the climax in a good film, the events of human history are kind of in the balance. And John is not thinking it here. Look at verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it, into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. All is lost. If no one is worthy to open the scroll, the human race is doomed. End of the film. No hope. You would have another of John's vision, John Lennon. Imagine that there's no heaven. Imagine there's no, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, only sky, above us only sky, and no religion too. No one redeemed. No church, no hope of resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no new heaven, no new earth. Let's reflect on this and feel the the pathos at the end of verse 4. John's tears are real. They confirm the tragedy of it all. But then we see the lion and the lamb. And one of the elders said to John, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. In apocalyptic literature, the lion is king. So it is fitting that the lion of Judah is the conqueror. Think about it. He fulfills the original promise of Genesis 3.15. He shows up in Genesis 49. In, in that passage, 49.8.9, it says, Judah is a lion's cub. He crouches as a lion, as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart 
from Judah. The lion is also the root of David. Ben mentioned this last week. But this, this is one of the prophecies that um, he's the root of David, that he will rule forever. You'll have to turn here. I'll just read Second Samuel 7. I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And Isaiah 11 is a key. I only read a couple of verses there. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump. So the tree is cut off. I will raise up a stump, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Dropping down to verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Ironically, prophetically, Amy was playing something from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe this morning. Because I can't think of lions without thinking of that scene with Susan and Mr. Beaver. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion. The, the lion. The great lion. Oh, says Susan, I, I thought he'd be a man. He was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? said Miss Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I tell you, a lion is a natural victor, the king of the jungle. And yet, and yet, John looks. He doesn't see a lion. But he sees a lamb as if it has been slain. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent off in all the earth. Remember John the Baptist's words when he first saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Apostle sees the Lamb of God, but as though it had been slain. Now this is not the cuddling lamb that you read or see in children's books. This lamb has been sacrifice, as at the Passover. The throat is slit. The blood is poured out to be put on the doorpost. And yet, that is the lamb we see. The throat is gashed. The, the wool is stained with blood. 
You know, I'm just going to read one verse from Isaiah 53, but i got to read a little longer passage. Psalm, uh, Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seen him stricken, smitten from God and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here it is. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. This lamb is Jesus. This lamb has seven horns, seven eyes, okay? And it's an apocalyptic metaphor for perfection. It is seven horns. Horns are strength. So he is omnipotent, all-powerful. Eyes, he can see. Omniscient. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And so this next, next action of Jesus fills in the blanks of Daniel 7. Remember when the Son of Man is presented? The Ancient of Days gives him the scroll. The Lamb of God was given dominion and glory and a kingdom by the virtue of his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Here is the purpose of the Son of Man being presented before the Ancient of Days. He was given the scroll and now holds not just the world in his hands, but he holds the whole sweep of human history, redeeming a people for his own possession. As we near the Advent season, uh, there is a haunting hymn that we play as a prelude. Listen to the first two verses, and you can catch the tension in this passage. It's called, In the Bleak Midwinter. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind may moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like stone. Snow had fallen, stone, snow on snow, snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long ago. Kind of dark. Verse 2, our God, heaven cannot hold him, nor earth sustain. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place suffice. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. 
So we seen the scroll, we seen the lion and the lamb. Let's go into worship. As a climax of a sage production, worship breaks out in heaven. Listen to the words of these praise songs. There's three of them in this chapter. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests for to our God, and that they shall reign on the earth. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, is worthy to open the scroll because he went to the cross and by his blood ransomed people for God. Like a kidnapped victim, we were held for ransom by our sin, blinded by the God of this world. We were powerless to redeem ourselves. We needed someone to redeem us. Like Jesus said one time, the Son of Man came not to be served or to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom by Jesus' blood. Time does not permit me to trace the concept of blood, of sacrifice in the Bible. Yet Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. If you want to investigate this, there's two books. One decaf, one caffeinated. The Atonement by Leon Morris. And then his caffeinated version called The Apostolic Teaching of the Cross. Um, if, if you want to investigate what the blood means in redemption history. But I think First Peter 1.18 sums this up. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And it's through Christ's blood that we are saved from our sins as we repent and believe the gospel. And it's through his blood that the wrath of God was satisfied. Romans 3.24 We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Note that Jesus redeems with diversity. No racism here. From every tribe and language and people and nation. The word is in the Greek is out from. He has pulled out from all these nations, languages, people and nations. People for himself. For his possession. 
and we were redeemed for the purpose. You see that? To be a kingdom and priest to our God and reign on the earth. You realize that when Jesus opens the scroll, when he does everything in chapter 5 and following, we are fulfilling the creation mandate of Genesis 1.28, where we were told to rule the world. Adam was told, rule the world. We are a kingdom to God. We are a kingdom to God. But we're also priests mediating the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to Peter 2.9 here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you on the darkness into his marvelous light. And as, as um, Schreiner says, the church exercises priesthood. We don't, we don't give absolution. We don't give salvation. But we, we give access to God through the message that we proclaim. And we shall all reign on the earth. I don't know what that looks like. I'm sure Jeremy will tell us what that means someday. But ever since Star Wars, I've always wanted to rule a planet. Okay? Someday, we will reign on the earth. I don't know what it looks like. I mentioned before that chapter 5 has three worship songs. How many worship songs are in Revelation? Anybody know? Guesses? Twelve. Twelve. So if you want to do a twelve-day devotional, pray through the Psalms in Revelation. Oh, I just saw some twelve days of Christmas. You can do that. On the first day, number. Okay, verses 11 to 13 gives us two more worship songs. Jesus is worthy. Worthy. I didn't realize it until I listened to Dean Carson's like, in the Roman Empire, that was the same word they would say to the emperor. Worthy. Worthy. And they would bow down. The lamb isn't worthy because he was slain. No. Jesus, the slain one, is worthy because he is worthy himself. His death is effective to redeem his people. Now the worship song that was in 411 changes a little bit, doesn't it? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And not just three attributes, but to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then, in that saltation, all creation joins in worship of God. 
the Father on the throne and the Lamb Jesus, showing us that all creation sees Jesus on the same level as the Father, which is a key part of our Trinity theology. And verse 13, in my mind, echoes Philippians 2, 9, where at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's our model, right? I invite you to worship our Father, the slain Lamb, the risen King, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Surrendering our lives day by day. Well, I mentioned at the beginning that the subtitle of the National Treasure was Book of Secrets. Right? The book is no longer a secret. The seals are about to be broken. That sweet can come back. When Daniel sealed what Daniel sealed is no longer a secret. And we now know who holds human history in his hand. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God slain. So what about you? You will bow before Christ Jesus, the Lord and King of the universe. There are some here that look at Revelation 5 and maybe some kind of science fiction fairy tale. Yet, on a Roman cross, on a Friday, probably AD 33, Jesus, the Lamb of God, nailed to that cross, died to ransom people for his own possession and to take away your sins. The lion conquered sin and the devil. The lamb was a sacrifice to atone for our sins. He rose again on the third day bodily, conquering death and ascended to, the seat, to be seated at the right hand of God the Father in the throne room. This Jesus, everyone will bow before someday. Either in praise or in judgment. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to repent and believe. And you will be ransomed from your sin. You'll be ransomed from death. Who knows that for this reason you are here today. Come and bow before our King. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given your only son, that you have not withheld him, but you have given him to us. And we thank you for that. And Lord, as we continue to contemplate all that you're doing here in the book of Revelation and in our lives, we bow before Jesus today and thank you. Praise him, lifting up his name.